2 Kings chapter 2. Let's hit six verses real quick, and uh, we got just a few minutes, and I appreciate these guys, man, living out their faith and, and being verbal about it. When you said you met Justin and Mandy over pizza, I was like, that's Justin Bedwell right there. <laughs> Nothing can happen unless it's over pizza with Justin Bedwell, but praise the Lord, God can use that, amen? <laughs> 2 Kings chapter 2. He'll kill me if he watches this. Okay, look at verses 1 to 6. All right, so we're going to pick up the story now with Elisha following Elijah, all right? And it came to pass, in verse 1, when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went, to Eli- went with Elisha from Gilgal, and Elijah said unto Elisha, Terry, here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. I mean, Elisha was, was in it for the long haul, right? I'm, I'm going to stay with you. I'm, man, God's leading you. God's using you to lead me. I'm not going to leave you no matter what. And so they went to Bethel. Uh, and the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? It was kind of public knowledge. Everybody knew Elijah was going to go up. Uh, to be with the Lord this day. And so Elisha answers and he said, Yea, I know it. Hold your peace. And Elijah said to him, uh, Elisha, tarry here. I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophet, the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold your peace. And Elijah said to him, Terry, I pray thee, hear, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. Okay, so this morning we're going to study four key cities. And those four key cities are going to represent four steps in our spiritual growth process, okay? And so, and so, you know, the top half of your notes were from the sermon last week. We're going to get into these four cities this morning because each of these cities re- is representative of a step that we have to take in our spiritual growth in order to grow rightly in our relationship with God. And so I want to ask you to pray with me real quick, and we'll jump into the text. Father, we need you this morning. God, thank you for every word that's been spoken so far from, from these guys. Thank you for their testimony. Thank you for Colin's uh, testimony of, of just what you've done in his life. And uh, thank you for the testimony of Justin and Mandy having an influence on him. God, help us uh, to be verbal about our faith and, and what you've done uh, in our life because it is, in, it is very uh, appealing to other people that want to grow. And uh, Lord, you're, you're, you know, the Bible tells us, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And, and you really are. And uh, Lord, thank you for the, the witness of, of, of him personally and what, what you've done in his life through discipleship. Thank you for the Jalowitz uh, that we heard from in the Mission Minute. God, just bless your word today. May we be strengthened and encouraged uh, because of what we hear and see in your word today. We love you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the Bible says in verse 1, when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha, and here's the key phrase, from Gilgal. Okay, from Gilgal. And, and so the first city that we're going to talk about is this city called Gilgal. Okay, uh, the name of that city means a rolling away. And, and I wish I had time this morning. I don't have time. But, it, but if, if you just tuck this away, God said in verse 1 that he was going to take Elijah up. He, he's going to rapture him out 
And everybody knew it was going to happen. And so just in a very small type and picture, Elijah is a small type or picture of the rapture of the church, at least in this context. We know that he has a ministry in the tribulation period. But I just want you to know he is a small type or picture of the rapture of the church. When he goes up, there's something that falls from him. It's his mantle. And, and, and Elisha picks up that mantle, as we'll read in a, in a couple of weeks, and he continues the ministry, and by the way, his ministry is twice as effective as Elijah's ministry, and, and Elisha is a picture of the 144,000 witnesses that'll show up in the tribulation period. That's all free. We don't have time for that, but here's what I do know. Gilgal is the very first place that when Joshua and the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan, they encamped in Gilgal. And so in Joshua chapter 4, verses 19 and 20, the Bible says, And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And so a tremendous historical event that happened in the nation of Israel's life. Remember, they had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. God had intended for them to get to Canaan. And in order to do that, they had to cross the Jordan. And listen, remember they sent the 12 spies in. Only two of the spies came back with a good report, Joshua and Caleb. They said, let's go. God has prepared this land for us. There's, there's enemies, but our God is victorious. And the 10 spies said, no, we can't. We'll die. And because of that, and because of their testimony, the nation of Israel wandered in the wilderness. That whole generation died. And it was their children, and Joshua and Caleb, that went into the promised land. And so this is a significant moment in Israel's history, and this place is the very first place that they, they, they encamped when they crossed the Jordan. Now Joshua 5 and verse 9 says this, the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua is the leader now, Moses is dead. And Moses is symbolic with the law, the, the Old Testament law, okay, the, the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments. Moses and the law could not get Israel into the promised land. But Joshua, who is a type of Christ, could. And, and you need to know that there's no set of rules or regulations that will make you righteous with God, but there is a Joshua, a Jesus, that can make you righteous in him. And so listen, Joshua 5 and verse 9 says this, the Lord said to Joshua, this day, which day? The day that you landed in Gilgal, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt off from you. Wherefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. You see, Gilgal is a place of rolled away reproach. It's a place of rolled away reproach. God rolled away the scorn, the shame, and the disgrace of the children of Israel, and he did it, friends, at Gilgal. You say, Jay, what does that mean to me? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because Egypt is a picture of the world. It's a picture of our sin. It's a picture of our bondage in our sin. And God says, if you want that rolled away, you got to get to Gilgal. Otherwise, we're still in our shame and our scorn and our disgrace. And so the Bible says in Romans 15 and verse 3 that Christ became a reproach for us. He took upon him our sin. He took upon himself our scorn, our, our shame, our disgrace. 
I don't know why you're not feeling me right now because Romans 15, 3 says this, for even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on who? Me, Christ. Thousands of years later, God would roll away the reproach of humanity and humanity's sin through the victory that's in Jesus Christ. And God's painting a picture in Gilgal. Today, I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt. I love this passage. Luke 24 tells us, and we're getting ready for Easter in a couple of weeks. Listen to this. Luke 24, verses 1 to 3 says this. Now, upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the sepulcher, bringing spices which they had prepared and and certain others with them. And they found the stone, listen, rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in, and they found not the body of the Lord Jesus. You know why they didn't find it? Because he is risen. He is alive. And listen, that rolled away stone represents, is symbolic of our rolled away reproach because he has victory over death, hell, and the grave. He has victory over our sin. And listen, you got to get to a Gilgal in your life. I mean, listen, if you've never been to Gilgal, you are still dead in your trespasses and sins because Gilgal is a type or a picture of salvation. That's what it is. That's the day that God rolled away the reproach of Egypt off of Israel, off of that second generation. And so listen, you got to ask yourself the question, have I been to Gilgal? Man, has God rolled away the reproach of my sin off of me because of the finished work of Christ? If he has, you know it. If he has, you know that you're saved. If he has, you know that you're born again. You know that you don't have to suffer shame, scorn, or disgrace any longer because of your sin, because God has rolled it away from you. Amen? Okay, listen. Go back to verse 1, because the Bible tells us that Elijah and Elisha went, listen, from Gilgal. They went from Gilgal. In other words, God's intention is that you get to Gilgal, and then you go from it. In other words, you continue to grow. You go from Gilgal and you go on unto maturity. And so if you'll pick it up in verse 2, God tells us the next step, the next city that Elijah and Elisha went to. Verse 2 says, Elijah said unto Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said to him, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. They went from Gilgal to Bethel. You guys tracking? Okay, you don't need Google Maps for this. You can just follow along in the story, all right? So listen, Bethel is the second city, and the name Bethel means the house of God. Well, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? They went from Gilgal to where? Bethel, which is, which is literally, the name means the house of God. You say, Jay, how do you know that? Well, Genesis chapter 28 gives us why this place is called Bethel, and the story is Jacob, and it's the story of Jacob's ladder in Genesis 28. And so Jacob is asleep, and he sees this ladder that goes from earth to heaven, and he sees angels ascending and descending, and he doesn't know what he's tripping on, but he's just like, man, this is pretty wild. I'm really not sure what this is. And so the Bible says in Genesis 28, verse 16, and Jacob awaked out of his sleep, And he said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. 
and he was afraid, and he said, how dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillow, and he set it up for a pillar, and he poured oil upon the top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel. It's the house of God. It's where God is. It's the place where God dwells. And he says the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And so Elijah, Elijah took Elisha from the place of rolled away reproach from Gilgal, and he took him to Bethel, the house of God. In other words, God wants you to move forward in your faith walk. Once you get saved, well, the next stop on your destination, friend, is Bethel, the house of God. It's the house of God. And, and listen, Jacob made this profession. Surely the Lord is in this place. And friend, that's where the Lord is. I know you're saved and I know the Spirit of God is in you if you're saved. But listen, God calls his body to assemble. And when we assemble, listen, the Lord is in this place. You say, Jay, what's the New Testament application? I'm glad you asked, because in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, let me tell you what the house of God is now. It's the church. He says, if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself. Listen, in the house of God, are we supposed to go back to Bethel to, to feel God's presence? No, listen, the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar of and ground of the truth. And so listen, Bethel, well, it's the house of God. Well, where's the house of God? Where the house assembles, where the house gathers. We're all part of the body of Christ. You know, it's popular in our culture to say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a worshiper of Jesus, and I'm going to do that alone and at home. Well, you never moved from Gilgal, friend. You, you need to get to Bethel. You need to get to the place where God's people gather and worship. And, and listen, when you do that, well, there's several things that happen, and we don't have time, but let me just tell you really quick, it's not going to be on the screen, and we're going to blow through it. Listen, in the house of God is where the child of God can praise God. God over and over calls his people to come out and to assemble and corporately praise him. Let me give you a few references. Psalm 66 and verse 8, Oh, bless our God, ye people not you individual. Now you can sing to your Lord and Savior individually, but God has called his people to gather together and corporately worship him. You say, Jay, that's Old Testament. I'm glad you said that. Colossians 3 and verse 16 says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. You can't do that if you're alone. Can I get an amen? How are we to teach one another? Well, I'm glad you asked. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and we're to do that to one another, which means that we're called to assemble together. We are to be in the house of God together. Ephesians 4 says that you need pastors and teachers so that you can be perfected. So in the house of God, that's where you grow to spiritual maturity, by the way, not with YouTube or your favorite 21st century author. You grow to maturity in the house of God with pastors and teachers, with the body of Christ. And, and, and then lastly, God has given every one of us spiritual gifts. 
Well, those gifts are only valid inside the body of Christ. And so, and so 1 Corinthians 12 says that God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it pleased him. You say, Jay, what are you trying to say? Well, what I'm trying to say is that the process of growth is rooted in the house of God. In other words, if you're saved in Gilgal, but you never get committed to Bethel, you'll never grow. You'll never grow. And I don't mean just come and sit in the seat. You can come sit in the seat and everything fly right over your head. You know that? You can come sit in the seat and miss everything that God wants to do in your heart and life. You can even come on Wednesday night because, you know, that's the real spiritual people that come on Wednesday night. Right? You can come and miss it. But I am telling you that God has a design in the local church movement. And the question for all of us is, have we moved from Gilgal to consistently abiding at Bethel. Are you here? (laughs) Are you praising God here? Are you being perfected here? Are you pleasing God by using your spiritual gifts here? And notice I didn't ask if you were a member. We probably need to roll some folks off the membership to help them understand what this thing's all about. Because it ain't about being a member of this church. It's about being a member of the body of Christ and abiding in Bethel, the house of God. 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 3, let's look at the third city because of time's sake. Pick it up. So the Bible says the sons of the prophet, verse 3, that were at Bethel, came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold your peace. You know, I know. Leave me alone. And Elijah said to him, Elisha? Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me where? To Jericho. And he, Elisha said, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. So Jericho is the third city, right, on this journey. Jericho, the name literally means city of the moon. Okay? As we study history in the Bible, this is the first city that was conquered by Israel after they entered into the promised land. And, and you know the story. If you go to Joshua 6, we'll throw the verses up in a second. Uh, listen, when Israel came to Jericho, it's the wackiest story you've ever read in the Old Testament, right? I mean, they're going to take this city. God has promised them victory. And God told them, hey, when you go to Jericho, I want you to march around that city. You put the ark out there, the priest with the trumpets out there, and you march around the city one time and then pack it up and take it back to the house. And then you do that for six days. And then on the seventh day, you go out and do that seven times. And nobody says a word. Nobody talks. Nobody shouts. That's the worst military strategy ever. I mean, why wouldn't people on top of the walls of Jericho just be like raining down rocks and and shooting arrows and, you know, like just throwing stuff off the top to kill the Israelites as they're surrounding the city? Well, I'll tell you why they didn't do that. Joshua 6 tells you. Verse 1, it says, Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. Those folks were scared to death because the fear, the fear of the Lord was all over that place. And so in Joshua 6 and verse 20, the Bible says, The people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet that the people shouted with a great shout, right? This is on the seventh day, and the seventh time they surrounded the city. And the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took 
the city. And first victory for Israel, and they didn't have to pull a sword out. I mean, God gave them the victory. God defeated that city just because of the fact that he is God. And so, listen, Jericho is the place where you have to live out who you really trust in. Jericho is the place between, it's the difference between trusting in walls for your protection or trusting in the Lord. You see, there were people on the inside of that city that trusted in walls. They all died. There were people on the outside of that city that trusted in the Lord, and they all lived. There was woman on, a woman on the inside of that city that trusted in the Lord. Her name was Rahab. Remember her? And she lived because of her faith in the Lord. And so, listen, Jericho means city of the moon. You know that the moon is nothing but a dead rock, right? But that moon reflects God's, it reflects the light of the sun back to the earth. And listen, Jericho is the place where we as a disciple should begin to reflect the light of the Son of God, the S-O-N, Son of God, or S-U-N, Son of God, Malachi chapter 4. It's where we should reflect the light of God's Son to the lost world. That is a place of, of growing and spiritual maturity. It's, it's a place of becoming more like Christ and less like us. And it's also, listen, Jericho is also the place where you should reflect the light of Christ to your church family. In other words, God wants to move you and I from Gilgal to Bethel, but God wants you to move from Bethel to Jericho, to where your life looks more like Christ. And guess what? Other people notice. Other people see that. Other people see your faith in Christ. They don't see walls in fear. They say you full of faith. Hey, I this really doesn't make sense that we're going to go march around this city. It'd, be, it'd make a lot more sense if we just attacked them, tried to beat the, the wall down, and fight them. No, God said just circle it and keep your mouth shut. By the way, God had heard them murmuring for 40 years, which is probably why God said keep your mouth shut. Right? He had heard 40 years of bellyaching and complaining and criticism of their leaders and why did God bring us out of Egypt? Well, God brought them out of Egypt to get them to the promised land. Sometimes we would do well to keep our mouths shut and our faith full so that we can trust God to do what only God can do. And it was a testimony to Israel, if you will be quiet and just do what I told you to do, I'll give you the victory. And we struggle with that. I'm telling you, that comes with maturity. That comes from, from growing to the place of Jericho in your heart and life. It's growing to the place of full faith in what God says. Trusting his word, even when it doesn't make sense. And isn't that hard? Isn't it? I know what God's word says, but. But. Okay, well, be full of faith, man. I mean, listen, let God do the miracle. You don't want to be on the inside of the wall building up walls and trusting in yourself. You want to be on the outside of the wall fully exposed but full of faith in God and let God bring the walls down. Okay, so, so we got to hurry. Look at the last thing. Is this helping? Let's look at the last one, verse 5. Okay, so pick it up in verse 5. Okay, so the last city, right? The sons of the prophets that were Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head? I mean, it already hit like Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. I mean, everybody knew, man. Elijah's going up today, and, they, you know, Elisha's just getting mad. Like, leave me alone, you know? Leave me, 
Yea, I know it. Hold your peace. You know, that's the Old Testament way of saying shut your hole. Okay, so, uh, yea, I know it. Hold you your peace. And Elijah said to him, Terry, I pray thee here, for the Lord hath sent me where? To Jordan. And he said, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And so they too went on, and of course they went on to Jordan. Okay, so the last city is Jordan. And the name Jordan means a descender, or it means a flowing down, right? The Jordan River was, was, a, was a mighty river. Uh, there's, a, there's a ton of connections biblically to this. Uh, Jesus Christ was baptized, right, in the Jordan. Uh, Israel crossed over the Jordan. There's so many things connected to the Jordan. Here's probably the most important thing that the Jordan represents. The Jordan River was what separated Israel from Canaan. It's what separated Israel from everything that God had promised and intended for them. It is the the river of separation, the wall of separation. It is the thing that 40 years earlier, the nation as a whole said, we can't do it. And they never crossed Jordan. And now Elijah has brought Elisha to Jordan, and as we'll get into it next week, man, Elijah is going to smack his mantle onto that river, and the waters are going to part, and they're going to go across. Here's the point. Jordan represents entering into the promised land. It's entering into what God promised and intended for our life. Now, God doesn't have a legitimate land that God's trying to move you to, but but God does have spirit-filled victory That's his intention for your life. And listen, Canaan was still full of enemies. Canaan is not a picture of heaven, despite what you may have learned growing up or singing. There's still enemies in Canaan. And and no offense, but but heaven will not have enemies. The Lord will win win the victories, I mean, unanimously and instantly. But Canaan is a picture of spiritual maturation or spiritual maturity. And so, and so God wants his children to get to Canaan. That's the application. God wants us to get to where we're full of faith. We're crossing over into everything that God intends for us. And we're doing it without fear. Listen, here's the reality. Only Joshua could lead them into Canaan. And here's the other reality. Most disciples of Jesus Christ don't make it past Jordan. So I love you enough to tell you, if you've never been saved, you need to get to Gilgal first. You need to come to Christ and let him roll away your reproach. But listen, if you've done that, God's not done with you. God wants to move you to Bethel. And the next step for you is getting connected with a local church and being faithful in the house of God. And listen, when you do that, God's not done with you. God wants to move you to Jericho. So that your life is full of faith and looks more like Christ and less like you. That's called discipleship. You just heard of it this morning. But listen, even then, God's not done. See, God wants to move us to Jordan. He wants to get us into the fullness of everything that he's promised us. It is really the picture of the spirit-filled life. Things get hard, and there's a lot of people that don't make it this far. So John chapter 6, New Testament example for a second. You know, when, when Jesus went through teaching and preaching, he got to a point in his ministry where he started teaching and preaching some things that were hard to hear. Everybody will come to church till they hear some things that are hard to hear, right? And then, and then when it's hard to hear, a lot of times we check out. 
But, but when it's hard to hear, God's not done growing us. God wants to mature us even more. So in John chapter 6, he goes on this famous discourse of eat my flesh, drink my blood. You guys remember that? And a lot of people, when they heard that teaching, they were like, man, Sunday school was great until you started teaching on that. And then I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable. And everybody wigged out over this. And, and if you read the context, the words are spirit and life. And he's not telling them to eat his flesh literally. He's talking about spiritually speaking, you have to partake of him to be saved. That's what he's saying. So John chapter 6, verse 60, many therefore of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? You ever left church like that? Okay. If you haven't, then I guess I'm talking to all the spiritual people this morning. I mean, I, I remember going to church and filling my blanks out and sitting through a couple of sermons and leaving thinking, ouch, I just got my world rocked. I heard some things that, that I didn't think, quote, fit my model of Christianity in my mind, but he used the Bible and he preached God's word. And now I've got to sit back and just think a second and see if this is really going to be applied to my life or not. Many people walked away, said, man, who can hear this? Look at verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And, and so just because you're saved, it doesn't mean that you're walking with him. Just because you're saved at Gilgal doesn't mean you're at Bethel. And just because you're at Bethel doesn't mean you've made the, the step to Jericho. And if you're at Jericho, it doesn't mean that you've made the step to Jordan. You have to decide how far you really want to go with the Lord. And, and friend, the Lord's goal is that you go all the way. Uh, maturity always tests our authority, difficulty, trial, tribulation, hard things. When we get to the point where we can't be teachable and, and grow further in our faith, we've stopped following. We've stopped following. And that's why, that's why God gives us this pattern of discipleship through Elijah and Elisha. You see, the way it's supposed to work is that you are with your discipler as he leads you, hopefully to Christ, and then he leads you from reproach. He leads you from Gilgal. The problem in our culture of Christianity is we have a bunch of people that are saved but still in their reproach because they haven't stopped walking in their sin. And the reason they haven't stopped walking in their sin is because they have nobody to follow. Now, either they don't have somebody to follow or they're choosing not to follow somebody because, hey, me and the Lord will figure this out. And, and 30 years later, you're still trying to figure it out. God gave you somebody to follow. And, and by the way, usually they're in Bethel. They're in the house of God which is why you need to be in church. Listen, and God wants to use you as a discipler to bring others to the house of God. So when we go out and preach the gospel, it's not just enough that we win people to Christ. They need to be here. They need to be here. Don't get it backwards. Gilgal always comes first. The gospel always comes first. But then we get them here so that they can grow and be connected with a body of believers. And then thirdly, that discipler should invest in their life so that the Word of God can transform them so that they look more like Christ. You say, Jay, man, I, I just thought I was here for Sunday morning preaching and I'm going to go about my business the rest of the week. You miss that if that's your mentality. You miss what God wants to do in your life. God, God didn't save you just to let you live your life. He, he saved you so that you would die to yourself so His life could live through you, right? That's the point. And then ultimately, our disciples should leave us, man, to Jordan, where the, the Spirit of God 
man, is flowing through our life and we're walking in the fullness of everything that God has for us. Man, those four cities represent for us four key steps in the process of discipleship. Here's what I want to close with because we're out of time. Uh, You know, no matter where you are on that spectrum, God's not done with you. God has a step for you to take. God has a step for you to take. And, and listen, maybe, maybe some of you are in Gilgal this morning. You need to make a commitment to be in the house of God regularly. 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 So I heard a statistic this week that, quote, unquote, uh, faithful Christians, uh, born-again believers in the 21st century, quote, unquote, faithful Christians attend church one out of every four weeks. Okay. Uh, I'm, if I was faithful to my wife one out of every four weeks, uh, you would probably say you're, you're not really faithful. Well, uh, a faithful Christian doesn't come to church just one every four weeks. Can you give me an amen right there? That is unfaithful. But in our culture, we like to redefine words, whether it's faithfulness or marriage or anything else. That's not faithful. God wants us to be faithful in his house, and then God wants us to grow from that. And we need to be discipled. We need to grow to maturity. We need to have the Spirit of God flowing in and through our lives. We need to become the Elijah that other people can follow. And we're going to see it in a second, man. Elijah leads Elisha to Jordan. They cross over, come back next week, and then Elijah's taken up. Then it's up to Elisha to decide how far God's going to take him. And he crosses back across that Jordan, and God uses him mightily. Listen, it's not about where you start in this process. All of us are at different places in this process. But what really matters is where you finish and if you finish. And God wants you to finish. God wants you to finish. Many disciples start. Not many finish. Be a finisher. Be a finisher in your walk with God. Become everything that God wants you to become by faith in him and leave a legacy for other people to follow. All right?